Morning, everyone. Hello. Um, welcome to Learning About Learning with Jim. Uh, this is season one, episode one of my um, my little experiment this year. So welcome to the folks joining us on LinkedIn and YouTube Live. Uh, hello to people who are watching on the replay. And uh, I guess I might put it out as a podcast. We'll, we'll see. So if you're listening on a podcast, then I have done that and hello to you too. Um, so this is, yeah, this is about me doing some research into learning uh, and then sharing it with uh, with the world, sharing what I've discovered uh, and having some conversations with people um, too. I started it about a year ago as a kind of alternative personal PhD project. Um, had a kid somewhere in the middle there, so I had to stop, but um, back on it back on it this January with, um, yeah, learning about learning. Um, if, you, you, if you're watching on YouTube or LinkedIn, you can comment and we'll see those comments and we can, we can bring them in. So if, if you have any questions or comments or things to add, chuck it in there and we can, we can bring in your perspectives. Um, I've got Nick Bennett here joining me who asked a question on LinkedIn. So I'm gonna bring Nick in. Morning, Nick. Hey. Nice to see you. How are you doing this morning? I'm good. The sun's shining. I can't complain. It's Friday, so all is right. Cold and bright here, isn't it, in, the, in England? Um, yeah, so this is, let's get straight into it. I said we'd do about 20 minutes, so um, mm. lots, to, lots to cover. So your question was this. Could you just maybe maybe talk around this question a bit? Where did it come from? Why is it interesting to you? Yeah, so I think... The interesting thing for me, having taken a, a lot of courses and delivered quite a few as well, uh, is the theory of spaced repetition, I think, in itself is quite interesting of like how we as humans are supposed to remember things in, in different contexts and, and how that's used in education, but also in corporate environments. But with the kind of onset of people really looking into neuroscience and, and how that applies to learning, the novel and engaging element always felt well, learning as a whole learning theory is quite buzzwordy I find sometimes so actually what, what does it mean when you say some of these things or when people say these things and when I've used the term novel engaging perhaps I have a very specific definition of that but what's a participant's definition of that and how do you design a learning experience for a whole group of people that are different in every way and perhaps have a different definition of what is novel and engaging for them if you're trying to use that to, to help stimulate memory and recall instead of spaced repetition or maybe in addition to spaced repetition. So, yeah, it was a really around like the definitions of when it's useful and how to think about it, because so much of learning, especially over the last couple of years during the pandemic that's happened online, has probably gone in the metaphorical bin. Right. People took it because they wanted to upskill because they were concerned about their, their future. But how much is people actually applying and taking forward with them? So I think that was kind of the, the context to it. Totally. And then in the context of kind of corporate learning as well, how much of it is just people ticking boxes or L&D departments ticking boxes? So they, they say they've done done stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Does it really have an outcome or can they just write a list down to say, yes, I've ticked and, and, and moved forward and, and I can get my promotion or I can apply for my new job because I've got it on my CV? Exactly. So, mm. we're, so we're discussing then... Uh, so this idea of space repetition, repeating something over time to embed it in your memory, uh, how useful is that versus creating these kind of new, what you call novel and engaging learning experiences? How, how can those two work kind of in concert together? So I did, 
kind of how how I'm going to run this this show. Like someone asks me a question, and I'll do some research on it during the week, and then either I come and discuss that or or we discuss that. So did a bit of research into space repetition, looking at the original uh, the original book from Cecil Mace, the Psychology of Study from 1963. Uh, he talks about he he quotes John Locke talking about um, how different people retain things in different ways saying for some uh the mind retains the characters drawn upon it like marble others little better than sand so you know some some of us of course remember more than others but he says it has been shown that for most forms of learning by heart the periods of study should be short and distributed over as long a time as possible so i think what's interesting i mean that chapter is called memorization um, and he's exploring memorization. So I guess um, if we can have a bit of a discussion around like how useful is kind of rote memorization to to our work and what we do. Have you have you found it useful? Because for me, like we said in the chat before this, like that takes me back to cramming for uh, exams or things outside of work, maybe where I'm learning to learning to you know lockdown sourdough I do that once every couple of days and like I know how to make it by heart now um do you find it useful for some things I think I have found it useful but only in combination with other things I guess like it, it feels like one tool of many not to be used in isolation and I think perhaps the depressing part of it in a way is that a lot of learning experiences I've had rely on it almost exclusively as a kind of learning tool that I'm going to make you do this a few times and then I'm going to give you a test on the end of it and a reference point I guess is I won't mention the supplier so not to, to bad bad mouth anyone um, but I'm sure we've all taken them it was a course on uh, managerial finance which is quite a dry topic anyway but one I wanted to learn and learning how to do discount cash flow analysis as part of that something that's really useful to have but insanely complex if you're going from a standing start so I think doing it as part of that worked and even post that worked as well but if I hadn't took the chance to then go okay I'm going to learn how to apply this to the business I'm in or, and other businesses to make sure I'm getting um, that context to it I don't think it would have worked just as like a, an isolated here's company x as part of the program please do this but the fact that I was thinking about the business I worked for and the the um, memories and experiences of that I think seem to bring it to light more but equally I definitely don't think I'd know it as well just by doing it week after week after week forever because one of the things I think we mentioned before of like space repetition dropping off over time mm. and I definitely don't remember it as well now as I did during the two-week first period of the intense course so space repetition seemingly yeah, doesn't quite fulfill the need that, that I had for that for that topic but I guess maybe there is some corporate uses for it but I'm struggling to think of them if I'm if I'm honest really for, for things yeah I suppose it's um I suppose there are some things if I think in like a work context there are some things that we do so regularly they become kind of second nature so like say you're you're doing like a kind of agile process you do you do a stand-up for the first time you don't know how that process works but after you know doing that every every day for a couple of months then it becomes second nature you've internalized it but you're kind of directly applying it on a on a day-to-day -day basis whereas like just learning about that through some e-learning course um you might you might not 
yeah, it might not be embedded in the same way. Well, that's a really interesting point because then perhaps it's the semantics between application and learning. Because yes, right. Most learning is designed to be done as a as a piece of external work. So you have your job or whatever, and you want to learn or apply this new thing to your job. So you go away and you do this course, and then you try and do it in your job at, at the point where it comes up. But I don't know how frequently that exact scenario you ex you explained was either designed by the course or content creator, or the person taking it has that application ability. So. I learned yeah. how to do Agile for a week or a couple of weeks. And then every day for the next six months or every couple of days for the next six months, I'm actually doing the Scrum or, or whatever framework it is. But And perhaps so it's not the fault of space repetition. It's the way it's been bastardized at, at different points by, by learning designers, maybe. Totally. And like to, to your kind of point from your, from your question about uh, an engaging learning experience, for me, like an engaging learning experience is one that, people can directly apply to their work or life like as they're doing it or straight after it it needs to feel relevant um our friends uh Svenning and bella talk about learning in the flow of work so it's like it should it should be part of that flow of work and you should be able to like apply it and it should be designed in that way hmm. yeah that's a really interesting point but i still think there's a long but but then also i think the two places where there's perhaps a gap for that is one is like actually being designed in that way because it is difficult to design that because a lot of challenges from a learning experience perspective tend to be big aspirational goals that people want to move from not incremental steps forward so putting it in the flow of work is going to be pretty disruptive but then yeah. how does the technology sit in that as well because designing learning experiences that sit actually within the flow of work means it has to be within that company sort of software stack essentially which how do you design agnostically for millions of different software stacks across the world so it's a really challenging application of of what would be i guess best practice yeah and practically it's it's kind of i think it's easier to almost take people out of the the day-to-day -day for a chunk for you know a three-day masterclass or something than it is than it is to do something that they're doing for maybe an hour a day and that you could easily get shifted because meetings come in or um I suspect that's why a lot of workshop-based learning experiences are in chunks like that, or maybe pre-pandemic were like that, because um, it's much easier to get people's focus time if you do it in a in a big block, which and, and that, isn't good for space repetition. <laughs> yeah, but I think the interesting thing when we talk about learning as space repetition or um, application as space repetition like learn app space repetition might not need to be a, a a sort of design tool for the experience but it it could be a design tool for the off time or whatever mm. post or, or during the experience and some of the best courses i've had have been so I, I guess it's a weird way to describe it but so novel and engaging that it's inspired me to want to go back and, and do that space repetition myself and go back and apply it mm. so flipping back is like to me novel and engaging doesn't just mean application being built in and in the flow of work it also means that it was like a well-designed doesn't have to be fun i guess because you can't say everything can be fun like learning fire safety probably maybe it can yeah. be like just do our learning designers pushed enough to really go out of their comfort zone to learn new ways to design experiences that are different i think the pandemic's been really interesting from that perspective because we've now shifted again where lots of people caught up and have done other new sort of advanced techniques and everyone's pretty familiar with 
the way to design a good digital um, uh, workshop experience, but then what's the next thing, which is going to be novel for someone that they haven't learned in that way before, and it's going to be engaging. Mm. So then they're encouraged to do the space repetition themselves rather than it being a prerequisite of like, I need to babysit you while you do your space repetition every week. Yeah. Something I pick up on something you said there, like like learning designers having almost the bravery to create things that are really engaging and fun. Because the kind of as I was looking, I kind of moved on from the um, space repetition to what makes an engaging learning experience. And there's some there's some research around the importance of positive stress in making a good learning experience. Um, and where am I? My slide nine. Uh, so they talk about this. No, no, you don't need to take in this entire model. But basically, they talk about they want to decouple the uh, the word stress from something as a negative experience um, into this idea of a stressor. So we give, as learning designers or teachers, we put students or learners in an experience into a challenging experience that can either be stressful, like distress, like sorry, negatively stressful, distressing, or positively stressful, which is this word you stress um which is from the greek meaning good so like um yeah positive stress something that helps us to helps us to learn but when i was kind of pondering on that i was thinking when i when i used to work at hyper island with which is a, a learning learning company that works with both students and companies uh when i was working with the students i was much more i felt much freer to create a kind of positive stressful environment for them because they're students on a course, whereas with my corporate work, you know, it's a hard it's a hard sell to say I'm going to come in and stress your staff out to an L and D department. I want instead I'm going to come in like I'm going to help people learn, blah blah. blah. But you know, um, just to your point of like how how we can be brave as learning designers when um, when designing these things to make them engaging. But, and that's really interesting because actually if I reflect on my own learning experiences about 10 years ago or so I did presentation training like quite early on in my career and it was done by uh, an actor so she had no formal learning training she didn't really understand any of the learning theory she wasn't interested in that as such but she did understand how she'd been taught as an actor to stand up on stage and perform uh, and give a good performance and it was a fairly painful experience from a stress perspective, like doing my presentation in different accents and in different characters, which I personally at that time definitely wasn't very comfortable with. So it was a stressful experience. But still now, again, I'm still able to recall if you ask me like the things that she taught me, I could tell you instantly like the different techniques that were really stuck with me. So had it been a less stressful experience for me where it would have been comfortable and I'd just gone through it and she told me about them rather than making me stand up and read my presentation in or read a Shakespearean monologue, I definitely wouldn't be able to record them now. So I, I can really see that. But maybe then it's the fact that she didn't come from a learning background. So she didn't care what the, the preconceptions of this were. To her, that was normal. So like, this is yeah. normal. Doing a boring stressful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, but and also doing doing training in this way is normal for her. If you'd said, "Oh no, you need to just come and do a PowerPoint presentation about this," she would have gone, "No, that's that's weird. Why would I do that?" Like in the same way, maybe a very traditional instructional designer would be like, "Well, let me make you an e-learning module because that's normal." So, is it the lenses we take as people and the backgrounds we have that also defines how what we think is brave 
uh, yeah. in those environments. Let's make you an e-learning model, make the user experience as smooth as possible. You don't yeah. have to like, yeah, you, you can just flow through it. You don't need to, um, there's no stress at all. I, yeah, I think it's, I think it's, that made me reflect a lot on my kind of practice and how, I don't know, what my responsibility is to, to learners as they're yeah. going through these things. And how do you adapt someone else's mindset that like would come at this from a totally different way? Like there's that great quote, which I'm going to um, absolutely bastardize, but I think like you never solve the problem by looking at it from the same perspective, right? You need to learn how to take multiple perspectives of the problem. Like almost like literally I'm going to put the, what's up the six thinking hats kind of yeah, model yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So then how do I then go, if I was a learning designer designing this as this person rather than myself, like how would I approach it? Um, to kind of push yourself a, a bit further but I guess it's, it's easier said than done to get those things signed off and the budgets approved as well yeah totally yeah mm. absolutely we've only got a couple of minutes I'm just I'm going to leave you and uh, our viewers if or listeners if we have any um, with just one little tidbit from that book Cecil Mason the psychology of study so he talks about like um, how do how can we remember things better um yeah, he's talking about how we remember things in a, in ways other than spaced repetition. Um, and he talks about this idea of the active and passive vocabulary. So uh, he says that each of us possess an active and passive vocabulary. And um, essentially, summary of this quote is, by kind of writing essays or writing a book or giving a lecture on something you yourself will learn so much more about it than if you just kind of wrote uh repeat that thing which I, th I think we've all kind of experienced if you have to like what's that phrase like teaching is the best is the best kind of learning so you have to really really understand something in order to um in order to like internalize it and really learn from it so he really he he thinks that like doing an essay or, or a written examination uh, can actually be like great, great learning experiences. And when it comes to um, kind of taking in lectures, you know, you're listening to a TED talk or you're listening to a podcast. Um, he reckons that uh, he says there's three possible ways you can either just listen and not take notes or fully transcribe or listen and take notes. And he, he reckons that just listening and not taking notes to lectures giving it your full undivided attention is the best way to engage with them so and then whatever sticks whatever was like sticky will stick the things that were interesting will will stick with you um which is kind of kind of an interesting perspective i don't know i'm sure i've got notebooks full of notes from lectures and ted talks and conferences that i've just never looked at but those things you talked a bit before about the emotional the things that hadn't an emotional connection are the things that maybe stick with you. Yeah, I think it's that whole memory trick, I guess, going outside of learning, but isn't it supposedly like you have to give it context or whatever. So the thing you want to remember, you either put it in a place or, or an experience. So you're not remembering the thing, you're, you're remembering more holistic part of it. And, and definitely my experience, rather than a research perspective, personal experience has been that that's worked for me in the past or that's what I tend to remember. Yeah. Yeah. The kind of memory palace idea mm. where you situate yeah. things. Yeah. On a, a couple of um, long drives, uh, I memorized like all the countries in Africa in geographical order using like a, a journey 
in my head I can't I can't remember it now but you know for a couple of days afterwards I had I had them all in there in that kind of working memory so it's, yeah definitely can be powerful we're at time Nick thanks so much for thanks so much for the chat and the question no problem. Um, it was a pleasure pleasure to talk to you um, and for those folks who yeah if you've joined us I uh, hope it was interesting and useful if you've got a question as well uh, drop it uh, on LinkedIn and I'll I can guide my research for the next the next week but um, yeah thanks for joining us uh, see you see you next time cheers <laughs>